You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. You to take your copy of the Word of God this morning and find the Gospel of John, the 18th chapter. John chapter 18, as we continue our series in the Gospel of John, Look and Live. As we come together this morning, we observe the Lord's Supper. Every fifth Sunday is a Lord's Supper, and uh, due to the events of, of uh, last weekend, we felt that be better to transition the Lord's Supper uh, to this Sunday. The special uh, guest we had last uh, Sunday morning. And so as we think about where we are in John 18, we look at the trials, the arrest of Jesus Christ over the next couple of weeks. It's a fitting time to Think about what Christ did on that cross for our sin and what it means to us as believers. And so as we look at John 18 this morning, I want us to look at it from the standpoint of these trials, these testimonies that are taking place and the denials of Peter. All of these things are are wound into uh, several hours as we've gone through the gospel, as we get to the conclusion of the gospel, we, we see shorter periods of time taking place where Uh, The first 17 or so chapters would have been years. Now we're down to to hours and and days compacted into these last uh, 18, 19, 20, and 21. It's starting today with the the trials, the arrest and the trials, and then the crucifixion and, and his resurrection and ascension. But if we're not careful, we look at these events and we forget that this is all part of what God was doing for us. As we were singing this morning, I always, as I sing, I try to remind myself because as a pastor, I'm usually thinking about all the pastor stuff. And I try to remind myself as I'm singing, I'm here, I'm worshiping. Yes, I'm a pastor. Yes, I'm about to preach. And yes, there are a lot of things that pastors we think about that most of you are not thinking about. But yet, as we, as we worship, I always focus on the words and, and what it is we're singing and, and why are we singing. And we were singing about amazing love. And I was thinking about the love that, that Christ displayed for us, even over these verses this morning. None of these things are taking place apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. Can I remind you of that? I mean, this is not uh, an episode of, of Perry Mason. Some of y'all remember that show, The Trials and The Lawyer, and we're, we're sitting back anxiously wondering how all of this is going to work out, and we worried about what is Peter thinking and what is going on, and, and Annas and Caiaphas and all this. Oh, no, this is all part of God's glorious plan for his church. 
And what a great Sunday to realize that with his broken body and his shed blood. I was sitting there thinking of, of uh, a mighty fortress. So many times as a pastor, people tell me, well, I can stay home and worship. I'm going to tell you, my friend, you can't sing mighty fortress like that at home by yourself. I can, but it doesn't sound nothing like what we did here this morning. See, that to me is worship coming together and expressing just the, the meat and the joy and the glories of the gospel. It's not about my emotionalism and all the buzzes and the whistles and all the stuff that's going on in, the, in a building. It's about what Christ did on that cross for us. And we get to take part of that. So as I read, think about this. The trial, the testimony, and the denials. John chapter 18, verse 12. So the band of soldiers and the captain and the officer of the Jews, they arrested Jesus and they bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So just to let you know, Annas would have been the, the, the father-in-law of Caiaphas. In the Jewish culture, once you were the high priest, you were always the high priest. But in the Roman culture, they would, uh, because they were kind of in charge of those types of things, they could uh, elect and appoint the high priest as they wanted to. So to the Jews, Annas, Annas was the high priest. He was the elder. He was in their eyes the high priest. And they would have taken Jesus first to him out of respect for his position. So verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus. Now, I was reading in the other Gospels as I was looking at this, and, and, Luke, and Luke reminds us that he followed from a distance. I think that's important. John does not spell it out that way, but Luke points out that he was following Jesus at a distance. And so did another disciple, commentators and theologians and other folks uh, uh, assume that this is John. It doesn't really matter. Assume that it would have been John with them. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest, but Peter stood outside the door. So this disciple, assumably John, knew the high priest, and he would have went in with Jesus into the, the court, but Peter would have remained outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went and he spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door, and he brought Peter in. So as, as Jesus is bound and arrested, he's taken to the high priest. John knows the high priest. John and Peter are following at a distance. And so because John has access, he goes in. He knows the servant girl and he tells the servant girl, hey, this guy's with me. And the servant girl at the door as they were coming by said, are you also not one of his many disciples, man's disciples? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him and said, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask? me. Ask those who have heard me what I have said to them. They know what I said. Verse 21 is a, an interesting statement because 
In the Jewish culture, you could not have been brought to trial. You could not have been brought into this setting without witnesses. They would not have asked Jesus what he was doing. The witnesses would have said what he was doing. That would have been the whole idea. You had your witnesses. Then you went and got the person guilty and the witnesses would testify. And it would have been an open public trial with many witnesses there testifying about what the guilty party had done. But notice what's going on here. The religious leaders, they're meeting in secret. They're meeting in night. There are no witnesses. These religious leaders have had it in for Christ since the beginning so that they may put him to death. Hmm. So the religious leaders had a scheme and the scheme is coming into play and the world is just watching anxiously to see what the religious leaders will do and whether or not Jesus will be crucified. Or are the religious leaders little puppets And their wicked little depraved mind and hearts are showing who they really are. And our Savior is still in the loving hands of his heavenly Father. And he's leading him as a slam unto the slaughter for the sins of his church. That throws a different light on things, doesn't it? And Jesus said, When he had said these things, one of his officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is this how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I have said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I've said is right, why do you strike me? Basically what Jesus is pointing out to them, you know, this is not a a real trial. Where are the witnesses? The witnesses should be testifying. I shouldn't be opening my mouth anyway. If I say it is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if I say what is right, why do you strike me? And it's then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and he was warming himself. So they said to him, are you also not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and he said, I am not. Matthew's gospel shares a little bit more information. It says that, Peter said, I am not. And he declared it with an oath. I promise you, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And Matthew's gospel again sheds more light onto it. And he cursed as he said it. I am not. And at once, a rooster crowed. Lord, we thank you for the trial of our great God and King, the Lord Jesus Christ, that enables us to come and to worship here this morning. Let us learn, let us be convicted, let us be encouraged as we glean the truth found in your word this morning. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Trials, testimony, and denials. Let's look very quickly. Verses 11 through 14 and then verses 19 through 23. And what we see is Jesus on trial. It's not your typical trial, I've pointed out. The procedure would have been more... uh, 
in a different setting, daylight. There would have been the, the witnesses there. It would not have been under the cloak of darkness. Even the rest and all that has taken place would have been so much more different. But yet we remember in John chapter 11, verses 45 and 53, it references John 11, 45 through 53, Caiaphas himself said, hey, if we let one man die, it'll be better for the rest of the, of the people. And what Caiaphas was saying, this man is stirring up so much stuff, it'd be better if he died and we would be better off because it wouldn't cause all this confusion in the Roman Empire because what the Jews wanted is everything to be okay they didn't want to stir things up for the Romans would get all in a dander. So this stirred things up. And they even took Jesus and we'll see later that that was the reason they said Jesus needed to be crucified. He was stirring everything up. And even Caiaphas said in John chapter 11, it'd be better for one man to die that all might live. What a prophetic word that was. That one man should die that many more may live. God is all over this. This is God's plan and God's will for Christ. And so in the midst of a religious mockery of a trial, the gospel is shining forth. And it's asking him these questions as we look at this, this trial. Notice what he asked first. He asked about his disciples. Tell us about your disciples. Who are these people that are following you? Why is this band of followers following you? Why are so many people consumed with you? Isn't it a typical response against truth? It's more about popularity and what the world is saying. They were so concerned about who was believing and following them that it, that it made them nervous. They didn't like this. But think about it. How many people do you think want to follow Jesus Christ the day after he raised Lazarus from the dead? What do you think that Twitter looked like? That, that tweet looked like shooting across Galilee. Hashtag, he's not dead anymore. The triumphant entry. Can you imagine the Pharisees sitting there? I can just look at smug legalism with their arms crossed at the triumphant entry saying, well, why aren't they worshiping us like this? We've done so much for our Father. Jesus said, you know what, if, even if they didn't, the rocks would cry out. Then they look at Jesus and it gets to the, the, really the, the heart of the issue. He says, tell us about your disciples. Then he looks at Jesus and says, what about your teachings? It took me a little while to pick up on this. Sometimes we read scripture, we say, you know, we look at the answer. But he says, tell us about your teaching. And it's like, you know what, that's where the rub was. Next week, we'll look at Pilate. Pilate, it was, it was political. He was just looking out for the opinion polls. He was looking out for the vote. Sound familiar? Doing things for the common masses to get a, get a vote. Pilate was all political. What do the people want? I give you what you want. I give you what you want. To the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, it was all theological. It's always been theological with Jesus. When Jesus in John chapter 7 and 8, he stood before them in the, in, the, in the Feast of Booths and he begins to tell them, I am the light of the world. I am sent from the Father. I am the Father in one. I am the light of the world. You come unto me and you will be saved. All of this, Jesus openly saying, this is who I am. Notice his response there. They said, tell us about your teaching. Tell us about this, that you are your disciples. 
Notice in verse 20, Jesus said, I've open, spoken openly to the world. What a profound statement. I, it's kind of one of those things you chew on all week as I'm thinking about this. And that is so true. Jesus has always been very open and emphatic about who he was. He never compromised who he was. Naturally, he couldn't have. But as you go through John's gospel and you look at all the discourse and the sermons, even the miracles and the signs, all pointed to who Jesus Christ was. He never hid anything from them. I am the great I am. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I'm the great shepherd. I am the door to the sheepfold. I am the vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everything that he said openly and publicly was the same thing. You say that you love my father. You say that you worship my father. But if you don't understand who I am, you're not worshiping the father because I and the father am one. That was the rub. It was theological. If we don't get God right, it's wrong. That's kind of where we are in our world today. We don't want to, we keep, if we don't get If we don't get the gospel right, we're not getting God right. You can't have God without Jesus. If you don't get Jesus right, you're not getting your walk with God right. You can't, the Pharisees said they were of the seed of Abraham. He said, and and Jesus said, listen, I and the Father am one. I am greater than Abraham. They wanted their relationship with God to be right, but you can't have a relationship with God until you get Jesus right. That's what the world needs to hear. Get Jesus right. Get the gospel right. Get the good news right. Why did he come? Who sent him? What message does he proclaim? Why do I need him? That's getting Jesus right. And that's all Jesus was saying. Hey, I've spoken openly. I've spoken plainly. When I was in the synagogue, when I was on the streets, everywhere I have gone, I have told you the same thing. That's probably why I got slapped. Imagine that little frustrated little pipsqueak of a Sanhedrinish person, whatever. See, I understand Peter. I'd have probably taken my sword and lapped off the other ear of the dude then. But see, that's what the world says. How dare you say that? How dare you come in here and say that so confidently and so much authority? And Jesus said, because I can do that. Because I've told you from day one, I'm God. But he didn't say it like I would have said it. Smug and unrighteous. <laughs> he said it with authority and love and compassion. See, he didn't have to pitch a fit because he knew he was right. So we have the the trial. Because I've always spoken openly. I've always spoken directly. Jesus said, I've always spoken truthfully. But there's multiple scenes going on. And we go outside. Tommy Peter followed Jesus from a distance. Stood outside at the door. The young lady looks at him. Are you not one of the man's disciples? Are you? He says, I'm not. Then we go to verse 25. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. And they said to him, are you not disciples? I am not. Asking it, I am not. 
Before we jump on Peter, I want to read from the book of Matthew. If you want to turn there, you may. Look, turn, to, turn to Matthew. We'll come back to John. Turn to Matthew. Matthew 17, verses 3 and 4. Because here's something we need to understand. Peter loved Jesus Christ. All right? Peter loved Jesus Christ. I believe he wanted nothing more than to be obedient to Jesus Christ. I mean, we don't see anything in, in I mean, Peter got it. We, Judas didn't get it. That's obvious. I think Peter got it. Well, there's many things that are going on here. Peter loved Christ. Listen to Matthew 17, 3 through 4. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good that we are here? Lord, it's good that we are here. So here's, here's Peter, James, and John. They're, they're standing up the mountain. We've got Elijah and, and uh, Moses. You want to talk about the a hall of fame of faith? That's a pretty neat place to be. I got Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. Peter says, hey, is it good for us to be here? Should we be here? And he loved him. If you wish, I can go make some tents. Why don't I go? Stay right here. I'm going to go make some tents. We're just going to hang out forever. Because I want to be with Elijah and Moses and Jesus. Peter's always wanted what is best. He just confused a lot. The spirit had not completely come upon him. It's pre-cross. There's a lot of things going on. Peter loved Jesus. There's no doubt that Peter loved Christ. Move to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, we're talking about the, the, where we were in John 13, 14, 15, 16. This is Matthew 26, move forward. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So they've, they've left the Lord's Supper. They did the, they did the upper room. They're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're going to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. Talking to the disciples, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Verse 33, Peter said, though they all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I believe he meant that with all of his heart. I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And the disciples said the same. So we see the, the background of, of Peter and his devotion to Christ. Now, as I mentioned earlier, look at Matthew 26, find verse 69 and 75. It's Matthew's version of the denial. Notice there in verse 72, Matthew 26, 72. And again, he denied with an oath. I promise you, I do not know that man. With intensity and emphatically, he denies Jesus Christ. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, verse 73, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a, a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. 
And immediately, Matthew tells us, the rooster crowed. And then verse 75 of Matthew 26, and Peter, remember the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out, notice what happened. He went out and he wept bitterly. The passion of the Christ, one of my favorite, most memorable scenes, it had Peter in the courtyard. And the third time that Peter denied Christ in, in Matthew's version of that, and he, I do not know him. And in the background, the, the rooster crowed three times. And then we see Jesus coming through an opening and it, the camera shows Peter glancing at Christ. And as the rooster is crowing, Christ is looking at Peter. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, could you imagine Peter's heart at that moment. It's like he didn't even know what he had done until he had done it. Because I believe with all of my heart, he loved Christ. We see Jesus standing before religious and political leaders that that have the control of his life, quote unquote, in the palm of their hands. And he openly declares the plain and simple truth that he's always shared. And then we have Peter to an insignificant in Jewish culture servant girl. And he denies his savior. Why? How? I believe he, I believe he loved the Lord. We know that The Lord loved him. And so as we see this scene, as we gather in just a moment, we see the the cross in the background. We always, as we read scripture, always put the cross in the background. And as we read what is going on, we see Calvary in the background. And we see Jesus being mocked in a trial and, and slapped in mockery. But he's standing and he's proclaiming, I am who I am. I am the great I am. The message has not changed. The faithful gospel over and over and over. And in the courtyard, we have a a, a man that loves Christ dearly and he is denying him not once, not twice, but three times. I want to look at this from two perspectives, this denial. And as we tie into that, Jesus' words about who he is. From Peter's perspective, how and why did this happen? I think he thought too much of himself. You could say he was just a confident person. I will never deny Christ. I will never do this. He didn't even have that in his equation that it could happen. Someone has asked me once before, I got every now and then I get on this conversation about Drinking, and I was I was a drinker in the day. I tell people, uh, "What's your stands on drinking?" I, I'm a teetotaler. Why are you a teetotaler? If you to hang out in my family and in, in the live in the Beck family over the past generations, you'd all be teetotalers. So anybody ever? We're not going to do testimony time. Anybody have a bad habit they've tried to get over? That's what I call them. It's not an illness. It's not a disease. It's a habit. That's a little different, isn't it? 
You don't go get, you don't go get blood work to being an alcoholic. It's a bad habit. A disease is something they have tests to determine. That's free today. That was just a snippet. The day after I took that last drink, I can tell you when it was, it was 26 and a half, 25 and a half years ago, 25 years, 10 months ago. The day after, I did not say, I will never, ever, ever drink again. There's no way in the world I could ever drink again. How dangerous is that statement? Because the last time I checked, John was still making that statement. The, prop, the correct, proper thing would have been to say, which I did, Lord, help me to never do this again. Whatever I need to do in my life, I'm willing to do. It talks about radical amputation. Lord, I am leaning on you. None of me, all of you, I never want to do this again. I think Peter was overconfident. I would never do that because I am Peter. We got a lot of Peters in here this morning, I think. I can do it because I'm me. That's dangerous to say. Because that led to what happened next. When you think you've got everything in control, guess what happens? You think too much of yourself, you don't think enough about the Lord. John doesn't talk about the praying thing the other gospels do. What did Peter, James, and John do? At the moment of the spiritual height and crisis of Jesus' life, he said, we have to go to the garden and pray. And he told all the disciples, watch and pray so you will not enter into temptation. Boys, men, gang, let's get together. We are at the height of spiritual warfare. You have no idea what tomorrow holds, but it is going to be the worst spiritual battle of temptation you have ever faced in your life, and you better be prayed up or you're going to fall. And just looking at the wording of the text, Jesus said, pray, and yet they slept. He thought too much of himself, but he didn't lean enough on the Lord. I think we're that way. We, we generally love the Lord. We generally know that we're saved and we're excited about that. But we are so wrapped up in the things of the world that we lose that dependency to Christ. If anybody's interested, I'd love to send you a video of Georgia Ann eating rice and oatmeal. I won't bore you with it, but I'm telling you what, I could... That little child, it, it, she's got her daddy, you know, it, it's hilarious. She, the first little, uh, I mean, that, that little spoon starts coming toward her and she's getting her mouth, I don't know why, why she sticks both hands in there. I don't remember my kids doing that. It must come from Katie's side of the family. But she is, she is so excited about getting that and she is just like, and I was sitting there thinking about that. Oh, the dependency of a child. Everything they need, somebody has to provide for them. Now, I know this is kind of silly to think of. I, I thought about this this morning. Lord, let me be as dependent as George Ann is on that spoonful of rice oatmeal in my prayer and devotional life to you. May I walk around with both hands in my mouth trying to get more of, of the word of God and prayer in my heart. 
May I be so dependent upon you every waking moment of my life that I realize that I can never do any of this on my own, that it's all of you. And therefore, guess what happened? He followed at a distance. See, he was all right before they went into the garden. Oh, I got this. I'll never fall away. I'm Peter. I have my sword. But when the tables began to turn and circumstances got outside of his control and he saw Jesus Christ bound and led to Annas, he knew what the next step was. He's going to die. They don't take him to the high priest in the middle of the night with 200 plus soldiers and he lived through it. He's going to die. And the one thing they did not need to do, they did. They followed at a distance. Last, let's consider this. Let's look at this from Jesus' perspective. I'm going to read Luke 22. For the sake of time, you stay where you are. I'm going to read Luke 22. Luke's account of all that's going on. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. From Jesus' perspective, he must deny me. In order for Peter to be Peter, he must be sifted as wheat. But I have prayed for you, plural you, the disciples, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, you will strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and death. Jesus said, Peter, I tell you the truth, you'll deny me three times. You will be sifted like wheat. That is plural. All the disciples will be sifted like wheat. All will fall away. They had all fallen away. It was only John and Peter. They even falling at a distance. Following at a distance. It happened in God's gracious plan of redemption. Yes, in Peter's weakness and his thinking too much of himself and not thinking enough about the Lord and his following too closely. He is absolutely responsible for all of his actions. But in God's grand plan of redemption, Satan came to the Lord and asked to be sifted. Oh, you can sift him, but I won't lose a one. And in Peter's disobedience and Peter's depravity, Jesus says, but I am going to make Peter more than Peter could ever be without this trial and without this temptation. Can you think about Peter's life as he moved forward, as he was preparing Peter for the calling that he would be in? What do you think motivated Peter? You know, going, going back to me, you know, why am I so adamant about things of, of, of not faithfully living for the Lord as a believer? Why am I so adamant about that? Because I once lived that life. I know what it looks like. You're not fooling me. I love when 20-something-year-olds try to explain to me why they don't love living for Jesus and how obvious it is. And I go, listen, you're not fooling me why I was you. 
Can you imagine how excited Peter was about standing for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because everyone would have known what had happened. He said, listen, I know what can happen if we don't cling to the Lord Jesus Christ because I denied him three times and God used that to prepare me to be who I am today. Peter, the rock of the church. Reminded Peter of the ugliness of sin And what can happen when we do not remain faithful to the Lord? Maybe some of us here this morning have an intellectual knowledge and understanding about the Lord, but you're not faithfully walking with the Lord. And your actions and your mouth and your life and everything that you do, you're denying the Lordship of Jesus Christ over your life. You're like Peter warming yourself by a fire and comfort in the cover of darkness, denying Christ and what he has done for you. And then the rooster crowed. I can only imagine the guilt and the heaviness of Peter when this happened. The rooster crowed. The words of my Savior are true. And it says that he went out and he wept bitterly. But the story doesn't stop there. Because just in a few hours, as Peter is weeping bitterly, Jesus is scourged and beaten, and he carries his own cross to Golgotha, and he dies on that cross, and he dies a, a, a suffering death, but a sinless death. And they remove him from the cross, and they, they put him in the tomb, and they're in the upper room, and they're praying and weeping full of despair. And the ladies come back, and they say, the tomb is empty. And they, Peter runs to the tomb, and he, he outruns John. I love that. He was so excited. He runs to the tomb, and the tomb is empty and then Christ comes before them in that upper room and he says peace be with you and then John chapter 21 when they're out there fishing he calls Peter and he tells him to go feed my sheep and he tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait and they go to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 and the spirit of God falls down upon them and Peter gets filled with the Holy Ghost And the man that denied Jesus three times and was broken and heavy and he wept because of the broken body of Jesus Christ, because of the blood that was shed for our sins, Peter changed the world. We're here today to remember that Jesus paid it all. He stood on trial and never compromised who he was. Peter was denying. The Pharisees were scheming. But Christ was winning the victory. I'm going to ask our deacons to come and prepare our table for the Lord's Supper. As they're coming, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Lord, we thank you for the word this we have heard. We thank you for all that you have done for us on that cross for our sin. We thank you this morning to be reminded of the boldness of our Savior standing before those that would ultimately crucify him, never compromising his mission.
but we're also grateful for the picture of Peter of pride and unfaithfulness and lack of dependency but yet we're reminded of the cross this morning and your body and blood so that just as Peter his sins can be forgiven and he can enter into newness of life to be saved and to live for you. Help us to see that this morning as well. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.